If you're glad you made it to church today, would you say amen? amen. I'm really glad I made it here today. And I, uh, I didn't turn my mic on until right now. Last night at the, nine at the evening service, I had my mic on when I went to the restroom, which is worst case scenario. And I just turned it on so those sound guys are happy this morning. I'm so glad to be back with you today. There's a lot of new faces here at the church. I was going up and down the hall earlier, and there are so many of you that I don't think I've met yet, and I have a feeling a lot of you have been here in just the last three years. And what I want to do is take about five minutes before I preach today just to tell you a little bit of my story so you know who I am, especially if you're new. I worked on staff here for about five years, and then three years ago, you sent us out to go plant a church in Fremont. So here's a picture up here before all the gray hairs that I have now from church planning and having a middle schooler. And we signed some papers and became a church three years ago. And then just shortly after that, you prayed over us and sent us out to Fremont to plant a church. And we've just had such a sweet time seeing the Lord move north of town here. Some of you have come up to visit us for a service just to say you're praying for us and support us. And uh, we, we, love, we love that. This is a picture here on the right of Harvest in Peoria, Illinois, praying over Aaron and his wife, Jessica. And he's our worship pastor. He came up with us to launch the church. And it's just been a beautiful three years. And I get to spend some time just sharing a ton of good news with you and kind of reflecting on what the Lord is doing up in Fremont. First of all, I want you to know that you trained us really well while we were here in your church, you taught us to lift high the name of Jesus Christ every weekend in worship and to serve people Wesco Donuts. So we do that every weekend. We're doing exactly what you taught us to do. And sometimes people come to our church and say it feels just like home. And we think it's the Wesco Donuts, just kind of pulling them in. I don't know. But we, we do that every weekend. I was talking to our staff this week and just said, hey, what is something that you love about Spring Lake and Christ Church and Traverse City? And we were talking about some of the churches in Michigan and the word that kind of stuck out to us is partnership. We just love the partnership between the ministries that we get to kind of be friends with here in the state of Michigan and Indiana. Our worship pastor, Aaron, here is leading worship on this picture. And often he's reaching out to Taylor. He's writing music with Taylor. He's talking to the worship leaders here and at our other churches. We love the partnership, the collaboration between the ministries that it's the same with our small group ministry. Dan's often reaching out to men here and talking to them about what you guys are doing. Our high schoolers, 40 of them just went to Camp Harvest with your high school ministry. Our 20s ministry is gonna be doing worship together in just a few weeks. And we love the partnership between our ministries. It's been such a sweet thing and it's unique. There's, this is not normal in church world. Often churches can be divided over little things. And so to see the partnership, it's just been a beautiful thing. And then I just want to share with you, not only do we appreciate the partnership with you as our sending church, but also we're just so thankful to see miracles in Fremont. And we're just so confident that the Lord sent us there for a purpose and a reason. And um, one of the, the most amazing things we've been able to witness is people saved and baptized within our church. Over the last three years, there's been about 150 individuals that have been baptized at our services, which is just incredible. And this uh, lady in particular, her name is Erica. She made a decision to recommit her life to Christ in a service and was baptized. And just about two weeks after that, she passed away from a sickness. And we don't believe in coincidences anymore. 
We know that the Lord brings people in our path for a reason. And before it was time for her to go, she had to make things right with the Lord and get baptized. Thank you for sending us to a community where people needed to hear the gospel. We get to be a part of what God is doing and he is performing miracles in our time. And we're so excited about that. Also, when I think of miracles at our church, I think of the building that we meet in. We were in a position about two and a half years ago before we launched where we just didn't know where we were going to meet. So we were kind of at the end of our rope and we were meeting in my living room with about 60 adults. And so it was getting a little tight and we were just praying, God, would you lead us to a building that meets our needs? And he brought us to a facility that was that recently had some tenants move out and we were just able to rent there for two and a half years and it was a great fit for us and the Lord answered that prayer in a huge way. And then about two months ago, we were informed that the building that we meet in would be going up for sale and we were hearing four, five million dollars. We were hearing some pretty big numbers and our team just gathered and we prayed again, God, would you just open up a door for us? Would you lead us to a place where we could do church? Can we, would you allow us to start saving more money than we're already saving? And the Lord answered in a huge way. Just about two weeks ago, we went under contract and we are purchasing the building that we're in and we've landed at $2.1 million, which is a huge, huge miracle for us because it's, uh, and uh, I want to, talk this through and share this with you because you've had a huge part in it. And I don't even know if you'd know this, but our building is 52,000 square feet in size. So we're talking like $40 a square foot. It's a miracle because two by fours are like $40 right now. So we're really thankful for this. The Lord has just showed just a huge, huge answer to our prayer. Also, it sits on 32 acres. Show that next picture if you would. And this is what's incredible about the church and the location where we're at. It's so much greater than what we need. It sits right on M72. So if you're coming down from Fremont to Grand Rapids or going from Grand Rapids North, you have to take this like 30-second long curve around our building. If you don't go to church, the Holy Spirit's pressing in on you for sure if you're driving by our church building. And we just we, we love being there. It's central to our community, and it's just been a huge, huge, huge answer to prayer. We believe it's a miracle, and the Lord has just brought that for us. And so the reason I want to share that with you is because I want you to know that we are close to raising enough money to pay for this entire thing with cash, which is just incredible. And that's because our people have saved about a million dollars, and when we launched as a church, you gave us a half a million dollars to launch our church, and we didn't need most of that, so we've been saving it. And then in addition to that, just recently you sent us another half a million dollars. And so we are almost at fully funding this project and we have about 11 more months to save the rest of the resources before we close. And so from Harvest Fremont to Harvest Spring Lake, I get to say what you say to everybody all the time. You are loved and we are so thankful for you pouring into us, not only the prayer, but the finances, the time, the training, the effort. And we are, the we are the recipients of that. And we are so thankful for you. Harvest Spring Lake, you are loved. Thank you so much for investing in our church. You can clap for yourselves. That's totally cool. Clap for yourselves. A little conceited much. All right, it's good. So I told our church when I announced that you were going to be giving us another 500000 right as we were in the middle of our fundraiser, we, um, we had people clapping because I said 5,000 and then I told them I left out a few zeros and then they were gasping and they were just so thankful. And I said, don't worry, 
I'm going to get them a gift basket or something, so we'll be even Steven. So I have for you today something special that I want to hand out to a few people. These are delicacies in Fremont. These are Amish homemade pies. I mean, these are legit. So I want to hand them out to some people here. I can't even tell who's back there. Who wants an Amish pie? Does anybody right here? Come on up. You can get one. Come on up, Tyler. You too. So there's a warning sign on the front of this pie. I got one extra. Who wants it? I got one extra right here. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's a warning sign on there made in an Amish kitchen, like unpasteurized milk. It's the good stuff. So I think that was an illegal transaction. By giving them to you, we might have just broken some laws. I'm not sure. So I want to do this before I start my sermon. Can I just pray for you and pray for this season that we're in? If I could do that, let's do that together. God, I want to thank you for this church. So many memories here. You've done so much. And God, if I'm honest, there's a lot of new faces here. I don't know a lot of people here today. But God, I just want to say thank you for bringing your church family together. And God, this church has modeled the gospel to us. You partner with us in the harvest. That's why we call our church name Harvest. And you ask that laborers enter the harvest, but it's your harvest. So you don't even need us, but you want to partner with us. And God, this church has partnered with us so much. God, they've been so gracious towards us as a ministry. And God, I just want to thank you for that being modeled our way. God, I pray you would allow us to model it as we seek to just send people out in the future to start a new church, to see the gospel spread in Michigan. And God, we're seeing miracles in our time. Miracles aren't just Bible things. It's stuff that we're seeing in America in 2021. And God, there's some rocky waters, but you are moving. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, I want to pray for this ministry. I want to pray that you would bring just a new chapter for them as they move forward this year, as we press forward to what 2021 holds, that you would, that you would change us, that you would grow us. And God, as we look to your word today, I pray that we look at it with fresh eyes. The distractions are removed that Satan is not able to distract us even in this service, but that, God, you are able to be clearly heard through your word. And so, God, as we look at this text, I pray that it, that it stands out to us, that you use it, God, to just change and move your people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you look to Ezekiel 37 with me? Ezekiel 37. We're going to start in verse number one in just a moment. Ezekiel 37. I want to give you a little background about this chapter before we dive in. The people of Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians. And so in the Bible, God made it really clear, you are not following me, you are distant from me, you are doing things on your own, and I'm gonna send the Babylonians in to capture you if you don't turn to me. And the people were stubborn. And 2,600 years ago, the Babylonians captured the people of Israel. And this is how the Babylonians would do things. They would take a remnant, the most promising young people, out of a country and leave a, a few behind, those that survived from the war. And they would take the most promising and they would let those behind pay taxes and they would take the promising in as slaves. And the Babylonians did that. Maybe you've heard of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, four young guys the Babylonians took to serve in Babylon. Ezekiel was another young man taken at the same time. So Daniel became God's politician for the Israelites. And at the same time, Ezekiel was God's prophet to the Israelites. And what Ezekiel does throughout his ministry is preaches to the enslaved Israelites 
about turning their hearts back to the Lord. Are you ready yet? You're in, you're in prison. You've been in bondage now. You're still not seeking the Lord. Are you ready to turn your hearts to the Lord? That was his message over and over again. He's an interesting prophet because throughout Ezekiel, he would do these kind of like weird artsy skits to help the people understand what God wanted them to hear. He would cut his hair and say, if you don't follow the Lord, you're cut off. And then he would wrap himself up on the ground and say, you're in bondage just like I'm in bondage. He would cook manure on the floor and be like, you're cooked without the Lord. You're crap without the Lord. That's literally how he would preach. And he would do these like pictures with the Israelites. But what we find in Ezekiel 37 is not a picture, not a sermon, not a skit. Ezekiel is given a vision from the Lord that he is told to give the people of Israel. And it's a dark picture. It's pretty disturbing. And God wants to ring a truth clearly home to the people of Israel. And it's a truth I believe our church needs today. Not only Harvest Spring Lake, Harvest Fremont, the church around the world, the church needs this today. Would you look with me to Ezekiel 37? We'll start in verse one. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones and he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So God is now asking Ezekiel a question. Can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Can these bones be revived? Can there be life there again? He said, God, only you know. Have you experienced spiritual reviving in your life? I can, I can point out moments of spiritual reviving where I came alive. And I can think of some big moments in my life. I think of vertical men nights. I think of times that I've spent at camp. I think of times that I've met with the Lord in, the, in my car. I've reclined in my car and I met with the Lord and there's been some big moments where the Lord has kind of brought me back into relationship with him. Do you feel like you are in a place today where you need to move from being dead, dry, a little stagnant to a place where you're closer, you're revived again with the Lord? As Ezekiel gives this message to the Israelites. He says, you need revival. You need a reviving. And God paints this picture of us on our own and it's dry and it's bleak and it's disturbing. And if you're in a place today where you're like, man, I'm not where I was with the Lord. And I wanna get back to there. I want to, I, I just don't want these big moments in my life. I want a sweeter relationship with the Lord that's more like that day than Thursday that I want to encourage you to lean into the picture, this vision here. What's the on-ramp to revival again with the Lord? And so let's talk about this picture that God paints for Ezekiel to get the point across. Number one, we see this, a valley. And the valley symbolizes and reminds us that there are slumps in life, aren't there? I think if you're honest, you could say, I've been in a slump before. If you're married, you could probably say, that we've had a slump in marriage, just kind of a lull. I feel like we're not firing on all cylinders, maybe you've said. It just doesn't feel right. I just don't feel like we're on the same page. Maybe you've been in a slump with your health recently. 
And I had all kinds of energy before, and I just feel like something's not right, and I feel like I'm dragging, I'm in a slump. Maybe today you're in a slump with the Lord. You're just not in the right place, the place you want to be, and you feel like it's a, it, you're just a low. You're in a valley spiritually. I don't know if you're in a deep slump, a shallow slump, or if you're exactly where God wants you to be today, but this is what I know. Someday, one day, you'll be in a valley, and God says there's a valley here as I paint this picture of the need for reviving, and the nation of Israel is in this slump. Number two, there are bones the bones picture and symbolize the nation and national hope. The armies of Israel one day would have risen against the armies of Babylon and they lost. And so this valley of dry bones symbolizes the, the dead bodies of soldiers that have lost in battle. The nation has been defeated. The nation was worshiping other gods, not the creator God. They were not trusting in the Lord. They were hardening their heart to the Lord and they were doing things on their own. They were dry. Does that sound familiar at all to you, to, to our nation? Trying to do things on our own, seeking other gods? Not only were they dry, but the Bible says that they're divided. The bones are scattered. There's not skeletons in the valley. There are bones. They're disattached all over the place. Does our country seem a little divided today? That risen, has that rang a bell with any of you guys recently? We are currently living in a society, in a nation, where we are experiencing dryness, where we are experiencing division, and God paints this picture for Ezekiel and says, Israel, you are divided and you are dry on your own. Politicians are starting to become concerned with how divisive our country is. I was reading an article this last week and a group of Democrat and Republican politicians have met together to talk about concerns that they have with this deep digital cancel culture. So there are these groups that are gathering, like almost like political terrorists, and they're networking together, getting in group text messages and DMing each other and making Excel spreadsheets about different politicians and they're finding a flaw, they're finding an issue, they're finding something, and they're blast emailing, and they're coming up with this really synchronized plan for a Facebook attack on these politicians, and politicians are terrified. So one time, they found this receipt where a, a state legislator had <laughs> bought Airbuds, $99 Airbuds, with his campaign money, and they're attacking him. How dare you buy something that you might use personally with your campaign money? You've, you've, you've money laundered $100, and they're just like attacking this man vividly for his $99 purchase. It's insane. And so some of these politicians have gotten together and said, we need to fight back. And so they're going on the attack, and they're just like hunting down these online terrorists, and they're saying all kinds of vile things in return, and it backfired on them when they realized that they were literally attacking a bunch of 15 to 17-year-old high school girls that were behind this network, this complicated network of division. If you thought the last political year was crazy, you better hold your shorts for 2024. It's coming. It's going to be nuts. Do we live in a country of division today? Do we live in a nation that's dry today? God asks a question. Hey, Ezekiel, can you live? And, that, and I think we need to ask that question today, right? Can our nation change? Is there hope again? Can we live? Only God knows. Verse four, would you look at that with me? 
Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and I'm gonna cover you with skin and I'm gonna put breath in you, you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. If you have a pen, would you underline that phrase? I'm gonna raise you up, I'm gonna make you alive and you will know that I'm the Lord, verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there was sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. The next picture we see in this need of reviving in the text is the image of bodies and the bodies remind us of emptiness. The Bible says that the bodies are there. They're now put together. The bones have come together and skin has even come on the bones. The bodies are there, but the bodies are empty. And what this reminds us of is our own effort. It's an eerie, disturbing thing if you were to ever see a body standing in front of you without any life inside of it. And we're talking like B-rated horror movie status stuff here now, right? It's an eerie and it's a disturbing thing when humans walk through the motions lifeless. They're alive, but they're not truly alive. When a church would ever go through the motions lifeless, alive, but not truly alive, the bodies remind us that we can go through the motions alone and still be missing something. This is symbolized when we try to solve things on our own. You know, I, I, I want to be right with the Lord, so you know what I'll do? I'll just like ignore this thing and let some time cover that, and over time, things will surely get better. Or maybe the, if the nation turns, then I'll be okay, or if my boss is right, then I'll be okay, or if this wealthy person sweeps into my life, then that'll take care of most of my problems. Or if I fall in love, that'll do it. That'll take care of my problems. I met a lot of young people that have banked their hope and the emptiness inside of them on love and falling in love with the right person. My wife and I have watched a show recently. It's called Married at First Sight. It's terrible. Never watch it, okay? But I'm going to tell you about it. So there's this show called Married at First Sight, and this is what happens, okay? There's these four professionals, and they get in a room with hundreds of resumes of men and women that want to get married. And they'll sit down and they'll analyze these individuals and do some mineagrams and look at their character and all of these types of things. And what are they like? And what do they don't like? And then they'll say, aha, we found it. We have found a perfect match, true love. This man needs to be married to this woman. And so they'll talk to these individuals and go, do you want to marry someone at a wedding altar that you meet for the first time? And both of these individuals say yes, because they're super desperate. And then <laughs> they'll meet at a wedding altar and get married at first, at their very first sight of each other. Guess what happens eventually? Usually the wedding's great. Oh, this is a fairy, fairy tale wedding. It's like Disney wedding. And they're just like so excited. Guess what happens about three weeks in, three months in? Eventually, they get to the place with some massive tension. 
your mother-in-law is crazy. I can't believe you would hang the pictures like that. What do you mean we would live in your apartment? My apartment's closer to town. It's closer to your work. No, it's closer to my work. Eventually, this is what happens. Collision, conflict. I thought, I thought they would meet my needs. The professionals have found my perfect match. They've literally looked at hundreds of resumes. How does this not work? Guess what? We can put our bank and our hope and our trust in our spouse, in our new job, in our new home, in some other thing to help us feel better about our lives. But on our own, in our effort, there's emptiness there. We need something else. We need something more than we can manufacture in our own energy. Would you look with me at verse 9? Then he said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, a great army." Here's the next picture in reviving breath, which symbolizes the Holy Spirit moving again. Breath, which symbolizes the Holy Spirit. If you long for a consistent rhythm of reviving in your life, like I, I just want to be, I want to have short accounts of the Lord. I want to make things right. I want to move forward the Holy Spirit is required for that. If you think the Holy Spirit is a cute thing that gets referred to sometimes, if you think the Holy Spirit will help you a little bit, you are not ready for a reviving. It's when we understand that we are empty on our own without the Holy Spirit changing and moving us. It's not until we get there that we are ready to be changed. So I grew up where... He just very rarely referred to the Holy Spirit because it was just kind of considered taboo. And so down the street from where I grew up, there was another church that might have maybe abused their reference to the Holy Spirit and said, the Holy Spirit is telling us these things and just a lot of chaotic things happened in the church. There was just lots of chaos under the banner of the Holy Spirit. And so our church kind of took a back seat to have a referring to the Holy Spirit. That was just kind of like, it's kind of how I grew up. Maybe you come from that background where referring to the Holy Spirit gives you a little chill and you're like, can we even do this? Is this taboo? I just want to give you some liberty to understand that it is okay to claim and lean on the Holy Spirit to help us. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit our helper. It's okay to say out loud, the Holy Spirit has comforted me in this season. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit brings comfort. It's okay to say that the Holy Spirit is convicting me. It's okay to say that the Holy Spirit is helping me, that the Holy Spirit is leading me. We can say what is true if we long to grow and we long to change. We must realize that the Holy Spirit moves like breath to change us and move us. And so what happens to the believer that has the Holy Spirit moving in them? Well, things change. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to look at about 10 verses in the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at some of the changes that are going to take place for the Israelites. And what we'll see is a clear parallel to the American church today. What happens when the Holy Spirit moves and changes people? 
What happens within the church, within the congregation? Let's look at the parallel here. Would you look with me at verse number 12? It says this. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I will open your graves and I'm gonna raise you from your graves. So God gets very personal here and says, we are like dead people. We are in a grave, but I wanna raise you and I'm gonna bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 13, here it is. And you shall know that I'm the Lord. If you have a pen, would you underline that? When God revives and bring us, brings us from death spiritually to life, we will know that God is the Lord. When I open your graves and I raise you from the graves, verse 14, and I'm gonna put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Here it is again then you shall know that I'm the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Would you look with me at the next few verses? It says this in verse 15. So the word of the Lord came unto me and said, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with it and take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel associated with it. And what we see over the next few verses is a picture for Ezekiel. This is his comfort zone. And God says, all right, Ezekiel, when you declare this vision to the Israelites, I also want you to do a picture illustration. And Ezekiel is fired up by this because he loved picture illustrations in his sermons. He said, I want you to take a stick and write Israel on one and take another stick and write Judah on the other. And he says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take those two separated sticks and I'm gonna make them one. I'm gonna reunite the nation of Israel. You see, long before Babylon came in and took Israelites captive, the nation of Israel had been fighting and had already been split apart. There was a civil war there. There was division there. There was fighting and there was disunity. And so the nation's fighting. And of course, another country can come in and sweep and take them out from underneath their feet. And God says, this is what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit's gonna change you and you're gonna restore relationships within your own camp. You're gonna restore relationship within your own people. Would you look with me at verse 22? It says this, and I'm gonna make one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king shall be over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. Then they shall not defile themselves anymore with idols or detestable things and with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from their backsliding in which they've sinned, and I'm gonna cleanse them they shall be my people, and I will be their God. When the Holy Spirit works, we see two things that happen in the nation of Israel that happen in our time today too. Here's the first thing that we see. Relationships restored. And then number two, idols destroyed. Israel, you are dead, bones, dry, scattered. I'm gonna bring you back. The Holy Spirit's gonna move. And then the immediate overflow of this personal reviving in your life will be restored relationships. And then you're gonna look to idols that you've been worshiping and you're gonna say, those are, those are not the gods I'm gonna worship anymore. I've seen this time and time again illustrated by God at work videos. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a God at work video here at this church that's about marriage, for example. Have you ever seen one of those? Okay, most of you would say, I've seen one of those. Nine years ago, I landed in this church and I watched a God at work video. And you know what I heard? 
Our marriage was broken. The relationship was torn. But God did something here, and then God did something here. And all of a sudden, the two sticks, the two separated individuals are becoming one again. God is moving. God is changing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That was, that was shockingly new to me nine years ago, that, the, that God would move in that way and so clearly that we could talk about it. God did that for me. I sat in a service nine years ago at International Aid, and I was judging up the music, and I didn't like the people walking down the aisles, and no one had a suit on. And I'm like, where in the world are the suits? This is not a legit church. And I'm sitting in that building, and the Holy Spirit started moving right here in my seat. And God started to chip away at some bitterness and some disunity and some areas where I was prideful and judgmental towards other believers. And the Lord started moving here. And what immediately overflows when the Holy Spirit revives us is God convicts us of relationships that are torn and says, no, you got to make that right. And this is so beautiful in the church. And time and time again, we hear throughout the New Testament Keep short accounts with brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't allow division and gossipers in the church. Fight for unity. Fight for unity. This is the bride of Christ. And when God starts changing his people, all of a sudden people that are divided, that are angry, that are mad about a bad sideways business transaction, meet privately and make things right. That is the first step that flows out of Holy Spirit revival. God changes restores marriages, restores brothers and sisters that have done business deals in the past, cousins and exes. We've seen it in our time. This is the type of stuff that happens with revival. Is there a need for you to go to someone and restore a relationship? That's so hard. Some of the most awkward conversations I've had is, I gossiped to you about someone and that was not right. Will you forgive me? I had that conversation, no joke, three years ago three weeks ago. And then last week, I had a separate conversation where I'm texting someone going, you're, you're a brother in Christ. And I did not like how that conversation went. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I was the jerk in the conversation. Can you forgive me for that? Those are the hardest things to text, the hardest things to say. But the Holy Spirit is so good at convicting when that happens. And God says, hey, Israel, you're divided. And you can't stand divided. You need to be united. And he pulls this, this people group together because that's the first step of reviving. And if that's you, if there's division in your life and you feel distant from the Lord, maybe you need to go to a relationship and make things right again. Maybe you need to go, Holy Spirit, will you give me the strength to swallow my pride, to say something that's uncomfortable? I've never done this before, but I need your help. Would you allow this to happen when dead things come to life, we see relationships restored and then idols fall by the wayside because those gods just don't satisfy anymore. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit moves. And then when you look at the last thing with me, verse 26, as this chapter closes, says this, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their lands, and I'm going to multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. So I'm going to take this dead people that's hopeless, that's dry, that's divided. I'm going to do something new, and I'm going to bring them to the place where they have a central hub, a church, a sanctuary, and it'll become this just catalyst for me moving 
people coming in and out of church. What a beautiful thing. And I'm going to move in that sanctuary. Verse 27, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here it is when you underline it in verse 28. Then the nations will know that I'm the Lord. I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to change to the point where other countries will see there must be a God because look at what God is doing in that people. He sanctifies Israel. My sanctuary will be in their midst forevermore. Here's the big idea today. God uses a revived church to reveal himself. God uses the church that's revived, the people that are restored to reveal that God is still on his throne. God must be real because I know what he's doing to my neighbor. And he goes to church and it's crazy what God is doing in that marriage, what God is doing in that business owner, what God is doing at that soccer player. God is moving and so he must be real. God says, I reveal myself through the church that's restored. We live in a season where you can turn on Facebook and it is so easy to chuck a rock at a politician, at an individual, at an entity, at someone else and throw the blame and go, there's an issue there. Some of us, we have this kind of skewed view of what revival looks like and we think that maybe if our nation becomes revived and things get back to the way they were in like the D.L. Moody days or whatever, that all of a sudden that would help our church get in a better place. And according to what God prescribes in Ezekiel 37, it's opposite. God changes people within a church. And that changed church changes a community. And it's the changed communities that change a country. And sometimes we can get so often think that if our country's right, if our leaders are right, that all of a sudden the church will be in a better place. No, God wants to percolate revival up through the church into our community. That's, that's his game plan. That's how it works. And so instead of looking out to other entities, out to other politicians, out to whatever for reviving, maybe we need to bring it back to the seat that we're sitting in. God, do you need to do something here? God, do you need to restore here? God, am I distant from you? Would you bring me back to place of restoration again? For the people of Israel, the sanctuary became the hub. And God, would you move in the church? Would you bring us to the place where we can gather in unity, where we can be restored, where we can be refreshed, and church became a high priority to you? Is church a high priority for you? This is what I know, okay? Sketchy church attenders are rarely revived. (laughs) It's hard to move from Death to life if I just like belittle church and I think of it as a small thing. When church becomes a priority, when I'm checking in weekly and I'm making it a part of my rhythm, not the building, but the people that are gathered in it, when they become a priority to me, God revives in that. God restores through that as church a priority for you. I want to talk to some of you that are newer to the church, okay? I don't know who you are. I don't know your names yet. I'm just visiting. I'm swooping in, swooping out. I can say what I want. They'll probably invite me back in like 10 more years, okay? Maybe you are newer here. Is church a priority for you? I want to encourage you to make church a priority. This place loves Jesus, preaches Jesus weekly, and it is good for our souls. 
So for you, if you, if you rarely attend here, I wanna encourage you to make it more of a priority. Say things like this at home. Let's get to bed earlier, kids. It's Saturday night. We wanna make it to church Sunday morning. Let's turn off the electronics, kids. Maybe you have to hit the Wi-Fi button and just shut her down, okay? Hey, we, we wanna get to bed. Your kids might just, you know, push back and just give a lot of issues and say, like, I just don't, I just don't like going to church. I just don't feel like it. You, you get to say, you have the authority to say, I don't feel like you're paying enough rent. You get to say that. <laughs> Pull the kids in. You're the mom. You're the dad. You can do that. Making church a priority means you say bolder things. You implore your kids. You drag them with you. You invite them to join in what God is doing in your life. Listen, I'm growing here. God is changing me here. I wanna be refreshed. I wanna get in God's word. And so this thing, church, is a priority to me. For the people of Israel, God says, I'm gonna make this hub, this place for you to gather, and I'm gonna restore through the rhythm of you attending this sanctuary. As a church body, when God moves, when God restores, we gather with his people, we fight for unity, even though there's a little drama. There'll always be drama, but we push through it anyway. We fight for unity. We make things right. And the Lord moves in all of that. And so what I want to do is just say one last thing before I'm done. I know some of you are scared because I just gave the big idea. And you're like, man, he's got 20 minutes left. Do you know the Lord? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you given your life to, to Christ? Can you say with confidence, I know that I'm a Christian? Because you can't be revived if you've never been revived in the first place. <laughs> and so I just want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, do you realize that you can give your life to Jesus Christ today? That you can become what we call a Christian? You see, the Bible says this, that this picture in Ezekiel is a perfect picture for our soul apart from God. For us before we come into relationship with Jesus. Ephesians is up on the screen and it says this. In verse one, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the air, that's Satan. The spirit, small spirit, that is now at works in the sons of disobedience like the rest of mankind. Here's the picture that the New Testament paints. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are breathless. We're moving, we're going through the motions, but we just don't have the Lord in us and we're following the world, we're following others. Verse four, but God rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Christ died. He was in a grave too. And the Bible says that he was raised and that when an unbelieving person, someone that's not following the Lord comes to life with Christ, you are raised and you are brought to life. You're brought to fellowship with him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you've been floating in for a few weeks and you're just not there yet. Maybe you've been floating here for a few years and you're not there yet. You can give your life to Christ and your soul can move from dry, dead, scattered bones to life again. The Lord loves to do that. He uses the church to do that. And maybe that's the reason that you're here today. So what I wanna invite you to do if you need to give your life to Christ, is I wanna invite you to take a bold step, not an easy one, but a big one. At the end of this service, there's gonna be some men and women up here at the front. 
and they would love to pray with you and talk to you about what it means for your soul to come alive. We don't know everything, but we know enough of God's word to go, this is what God says about your soul coming to life. You can give your life to Christ today in this service. When the service is done, we'll be up here at the front and we would love to talk to you about that. Can I do this? Can I pray for you as we close out this service? God, I wanna thank you for the fact that you give continual on-ramps to relationship with you. God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us. God, you don't tell us to clean ourselves up. You tell us to confess sin and then relationships restored. God's word says, whoever calls upon the Lord can be saved. You don't say that there's a certain group of people that can do that. You, you invite us all. God's word says that we can move from death to life in a moment and that we can boldly go to the throne of grace to get mercy. You invite us in relationship, God. So I wanna pray for two groups today. I wanna pray for anyone that's been distant from the Lord. Maybe their spouse doesn't know it, but they've just been dry for a bit. God, would you restore them? God, would you do a new work? We pray that the Holy Spirit would move in that life again. God, I pray that they would have conversations that matter, that they would not make just make the Holy Spirit a small thing, but God, that they would lean into the work of the Holy Spirit and invite you to change and chip away at some things. And then God, I wanna pray for anyone that is not a believer in this room. God, there's nothing more sweet than in coming into a church with new believers giving their life to Christ. There's oxygen for, there for us. And I wanna pray for anyone that is not saved, that they would make those decisions today. They wouldn't delay, that they wouldn't live in the dry valley for any longer, but that they would submit to you that they would call upon you today. And so even as this service closes, would you give them the ability to take a bold step to move forward, to make that decision today, this Sunday? God, I wanna thank you for the fact that you've done this for me. We don't come from a place high, we come from a place low looking to Jesus. Thank you for how you've revived and restored me and you've used this church to be such a huge part of it. God, thank you for how you use the church to do harvest work. We're so thankful, God. So your son, Jesus, is the reason that we've gathered today. He's the reason that we worship now. It's in his name that we sing and pray, amen.